Canadian Armed Forces. This Sunday is officially known as Remembrance Sunday. And uh, we were instructed that wherever we were doing what is referred to as divine service, we were to wear our uniforms. I decided not to scare you with that. So I haven't. However, I am going to slip into that role for a moment and ask something of you. Actually, I'm going to ask two things of you. The first thing I'm going to ask you is that this Wednesday is Remembrance Day in Canada, the day which we have set aside as a nation to reflect on the sacrifice and the cost that our armed forces have experienced over the decades. It is not intended to be a political event. It is not intended to be an opportunity to glorify conflict in any form. But is it a time to remember And I want to encourage you as believers in Christ, tell you that our veterans, their families, and our serving members need to know that you remember. This Remembrance Day is unusual in the history of Remembrance Day, and this has been happening in Canada since 1919, in that because of COVID, a lot of the official events are not happening the way they would. Uh, A lot of ceremonies at cenotaphs have been canceled or will be virtual or will be very limited. So one of the concerns expressed, particularly of the families of the veterans, they said nobody is going to remember because things are going to be low key. So I would encourage you to find a way to remember this Wednesday. And I'm going to encourage you to find a way to remember not just, oh, I'm going to be at home and I'm going to remember, to actually step out and be seen remembering. Whether it is to go to a public place where there's a cenotaph, respecting social distancing and mask wearing, and if the group is too large, stand on the other side of the street, but be seen remembering. Or step out of your house if you can't go to a public event and stand on your front doorstep at 11 o'clock and remember. And the reason for this is this. Scripture tells us that we are supposed to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And on November 11th, I can tell you, because I've seen it in the lead up already, there is a lot of mourning going on. A lot of people who are grieving the loss of loved ones, who are grieving the impact of conflict. There are a lot of members of the armed forces who are grieving what they can't escape from. A country music song has a line that says, they taught me how to put this uniform on, but now I just can't take it off. And I see that as I work with members who are trapped in the experiences that they've had to face. And when we are publicly seen to mourn with them, then that opens doors for us to tell them how they can be free. Because no one is going to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that can bind up the brokenhearted, that can free the captive, if you don't show that you care as they grieve. So on Wednesday, find a way to mourn with those who mourn. And then see how the Lord opens doors for you to speak life into their lives. That's the sermon before the sermon. Now we get to the sermon itself. We are in John chapter 14 this morning. 
I realize as the men's study has been going through John, I run the risk of simply replaying what you've already done. But this is where the Lord has been leading me. I've had the privilege in one of the churches that I have the opportunity to speak in. We've been going through the Gospel of John chapter by chapter. And it was fitting that last week we came to John 14. And as I was preaching through it, it seemed that the Lord was saying, this is a message that you need and that we need right now. So if you would turn to the Gospel of John chapter 14. That's where we are going to be this morning. But first, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we begin, as always, recognizing that you are the Lord. And there is none like you in the heavens above or on the earth below or under the earth. You have no equal. You deserve all glory, honor, and praise. For you have created all things and hold all things together by the word of your power. In you is light and there is no darkness at all. You are good, just, holy, perfect. You are merciful, loving, and compassionate. And none of these character traits are at opposition with each other. Lord, you created us and we turn from you. And yet in your great love for us, you provided what your perfect justice demands through the gift of your one and only Son. That by believing on his finished work, we might become the children of God. Lord, we praise you for so great a salvation. At such a great price, yet offered to us freely to all who believe. Lord, we praise you this morning for your spirit that indwells every believer. We praise you for your church, of which your son is the undisputed head. That has stood for 2,000 years and the gates of hell still can't stand against it. Lord, we praise you for your word and for the privilege of looking into it this morning. And we ask that you would remove distractions from us. That you would focus our attention upon your word. That your spirit would be free to speak to us. And as always, Lord, we ask for eyes to see and ears to hear minds to understand, and most of all, hearts to be changed. For your glory and yours alone, in Jesus Christ. Amen. So here in John 14, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. To give it context, it is, of course, the night when he is about to be betrayed. He's celebrating the Last Supper with his disciples Moments before this, the Lord of glory, the King of kings, disrobed himself, wrapped a towel around his waist, got on his knees, and washed his disciples' feet. And in that act of humility and majesty, he washed their feet explaining to them great truths in that act. And one of the things that strikes me is as he went around washing their feet, he didn't skip Judas's feet. He washed his too. And demonstrated that act of love to the one who even there is preparing to walk off and betray him. Let no one say 
that Judas had no opportunity for the Lord demonstrated his love to him even in that last moment before he chose to carry out his plan. Then Jesus goes on and he has a conversation with the disciples about what is about to happen. And of course, Peter makes his great declaration, Lord, I'm going to stick with you to the end. And Jesus tells him, you're not. We read in the end of 13, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And I imagine in that moment, Peter was probably quite gobsmacked. Because he sincerely said, Lord, I'm going to follow you everywhere. And Jesus said, look, you're not going to make it through the night. The disciples are wrestling. They've already been, had the question posed among themselves as to who would betray Jesus. So that's the setting. But as well, there's another setting here. Because Jesus, the Lord of glory, fully God, knowing all things that are about to be accomplished, is hours away from betrayal, trial, torture, crucifixion, and death. Is hours away from taking on the burden of the wrath of God upon himself for our salvation. Fully God, he understands it, and fully human, he's going to bear it. And I don't know about you, but if I were looking ahead to that, I think that would become all-consuming. I have had very little struggle or trial in my life, and the little ones that I had, they were pretty all-consuming. Give me a dentist appointment and tell me I have a cavity and I have to focus on preparing myself for that. And here is the Lord hours away from these events about to take place. And I want you to look at the focus of our Savior. Reading in John chapter 14 starting at verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. And you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been with you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. 
Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these. Because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name. So that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name. And I will do it. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The, Lord cannot, the world cannot accept him. Because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. You have heard me say, I am going away, and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not speak with you much longer, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me. But the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what the Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. In this dialogue that's recorded by the Apostle John as he was moved by the Spirit, Jesus gives us a number of encouragements. And I say this because, as I've mentioned before, when looking at the Gospel of John, it's always important to remember the purpose for which it was written. Unlike the other three Gospels, which were written as primarily an evangelistic tool, the Gospel of John was written, though it does have great evangelistic purpose, was written to the church. John wrote the Gospel of John near the end of the first century at a time when the church was under the worst persecution it had ever experienced thus far. Domitian is emperor and he seems to be bent on the destruction of the church. So persecution from without is hitting the church wherever it is in the empire. 
and within false teaching and corruption is attacking them on the inside. So here you have believers who on the outside are wondering if tomorrow someone's going to sell them out and they're going to lose their lives. While inside there is division and corruption and false teaching. And the Spirit moves John and basically says, I'm going to take you back to the beginning. I'm going to take you back to when Jesus was here. And I'm going to remind you again of who the Lord is and what He accomplished for you. So when we read these words, these aren't just the words of Jesus to those men sitting in the room with Him to prepare them to be able to handle what is about to come. But He is also writing to that church at the end of the first century. And brothers and sisters, He's writing to us in 2020. As we look around and go, what's going on? I'm sitting in church with a mask on. It's a double layer, but apparently I need to have a triple layer soon. Don't know what that looks like. I hope it's like a parfait. And we see the conflict in our neighbor to the south, and we see these challenges and things going on. And in the midst of all of that, the Lord says, do not let your hearts troubled trust in God so he says first to them trust in God to these Jewish men they know the God that they grew up learning about they know the God of the Old Testament who created the universe who brought the children of Israel out of Egypt with a strong right hand they know those stories they know that history and he says and now also trust in me And then he gives them their first encouragement. In my father's house are many rooms. Now I have to say, having grown up as a good King James boy, the first time I read a more modern translation, I was a bit disappointed that it had been downgraded because we went from mansions to rooms. And it's like, okay, that's a bit of a shocker. But what's interesting here is the word that is translated there, rooms or mansions, is actually only appears one other place in the New Testament, and that's in verse 23, where it talks about God making His home with us. So the best translation of the word is to, for Jesus to be saying, I am going in my Father's house are many homes. In my Father's house are many homes. Brothers and sisters, it's important for us to realize this ain't home. It's not. We are passing through. We need to be faithful to do what He's called us to do here, but this isn't home. It's never going to be home. So if you're looking and waiting to wake up the next day and go, oh, everything is wonderful here. It's not going to happen. This is not home. You know what that's like. You've experienced that. I can remember going off to residence and university and it didn't matter how much I set up my little room and how much I got my routines. It was there. At times it was quite pleasant, but it didn't compare to going home. Well, brothers and sisters, our Lord is reminding us home is waiting. He's preparing it Himself for us. Our first Encouragement. The second encouragement comes soon after that. 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, verse 3, I will come back and take you to be with me, that there you may be also where I am. Not only is home waiting, but the Lord is bringing us to it. In those times where we lose sense of of direction, we remember, no, in the end, if we have put our trust in the finished work of Christ, if we are one of His, He is going to bring us home to be with Him. And then, off those two encouragements, then we come to an important declaration. When Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus sums it up in this statement that explains everything we need to know in life. I am, Jesus says, the way and the truth and the life. I am your direction. I am the way. You walk in me and you will never be off course. No matter how much the maze seems to change around you in this world and its circumstances, when you are in me walking according to me, you know the way. I am the truth. I picked up a book on Friday. I was killing time waiting to get my snow tires on and I was walking through a store and looking at books as I often do and picked up one and it was by a reporter and flipped it over and he had a statement on the back. It said, everybody wants reporters to present the truth, but reporters know there is no truth. There are details, there are facts and scenarios, but each person will put it together the way they want. And I'm thinking, boy, that's depressing. See, I look at it and go, there are certain things that are true. One plus one is still two. Gravity still works. And Jesus Christ is the truth. Unequivocally, He is the truth. Everything He did is the truth. Everything He said is the truth. He is truth. So no matter how the world swirls around and how dense the fog gets, Jesus Christ is still the truth. And I can stand on His Word. I can stand on His promises. I can walk in obedience to His instructions. And then the third part, and I am life. Everything that we need. He is our direction. He is our rock that we can stand on. And He is our life. He is the reason we live. He is the power that we have to exist in this world and the promise of life everlasting in Him. He then continues as the disciples ask Him questions and He comes to the next encouragement which we see in verse 12. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these. Because I am going to the Father. One commentator has said, speaking of that, Jesus is saying, because of what he is going to accomplish on the cross, by paying the penalty for our sin, so that God can now indwell us by his Spirit, 
that we will then become the messengers of God. We will be able to proclaim the goodness of God and see people come to Christ. So suddenly that small group of disciples, by extent, saw others come to Christ, saw others come to Christ. So now there are millions upon millions of people who profess the name of Christ. Because Christ went to the cross rose victoriously over their grave, ascended to the Father and sits on his right hand. Then we come to the fourth encouragement. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Now, we all should understand what that means. It doesn't mean... That whatever you ask for, if you tack on in Jesus' name, it's suddenly going to happen. That's not the way it works. Sometimes we can confuse that to people. Sometimes we're children. It's like, Lord, I want a brand new bike in Jesus' name. Amen. It's not like a magic spell. What he's in fact saying is, when you are doing what is my will to do, I will empower it to take place. It is similar to what we would see in olden times where the king would send out someone to accomplish the king's purpose. And when that person arrived, he would say, you are to do this in the name of the king. And everyone understood that the authority was not in that individual but in the king who had given him the instruction and given him the authority to do it. So when I go to Christ, when I am praying that people would come to the saving knowledge of Christ, when I am praying that he will enable me and strengthen me through his spirit to overcome temptation, to live a life that glorifies his name, I know that he is going to do that. Because he has the power to and it's according to his will. So that you may ask for anything in my name and I will do it. And then the next encouragement, the fifth one. I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. Have you ever thought about how huge that is? Oftentimes, I'll be teaching through passages in the Old Testament and I'll think about the fact that, you know, Moses, Moses who served God, the Spirit at times descended upon him, but he was never indwelt by the Spirit. David didn't experience that. The prophets didn't experience that because the sin issue had not been dealt with. But because the sin issue is dealt with through Christ, those who are in Christ can be indwelt by the Spirit of the living God who guides us, comforts us, strengthens us, convicts us. We have something that the saints of the Old Testament waited and hoped for. It's also, we're told in Ephesians, the seal of our inheritance. God gave it to us. We can't cast him out. We can frustrate the Holy Spirit. We can't cast him out. We have that encouragement. And then we come to the sixth one. Peace I leave with you. 
My peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. It is the most sought for thing, I think, in the world today. Peace. Not simply the absence of conflict, but the sense that there is something right in the world. That there is a hope. That there is strength. That there is a future, a tomorrow. And the world can't manufacture that. Again, we look to our neighbors to the south. They've just gone through a whole huge thing and people aren't any more hopeful today than they were a month ago. Because we can't manufacture hope. We can't manufacture peace. But Jesus is our peace. And when we have peace with God and know that the relationship with God is not broken, then that peace with God enables us to then have peace with others. It enables us to forgive and to love one another. It enables us to do that. And it gives us that ability in the midst of the swirl to have that quiet hope. And the world sees it. The world sees it. When you and I are in Christ and we have His peace at work in the different areas of our life, people see that. And they ask about it. My peace I give you. And then the last encouragement that we see in this passage Verse 30, I will not speak with you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me. But the world must learn that I love the Father, and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Sometimes we can get into this thought that there is this cataclysmic struggle going on between the forces of good and the forces of evil. And I've seen that even described at times, sometimes in talking about even the cross, where it'll be presented, you know, Jesus is going to the cross and the devil's dancing all over the place. Um, I think that's really bad theology. Jesus told us, nobody takes my life from me. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. Jesus said, the prince of the... This world is coming. He has no power over me. Martin Luther pegged it in a mighty fortress. Is our God when he talked about all those devils. They have no power. Jesus reigns supreme. And when he went to the cross, he was not a victim of evil powers. He was not a victim of the Jewish religion. He was not a victim of Roman control. He was an obedient servant demonstrating his obedience to his Father and his love for us. And he went to the cross and he rose victoriously over the grave. So now he is in a place 
where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord for the glory of God the Father. These are the words that Jesus impressed upon his disciples as they were just hours away from seeing their world appear to flip upside down. That the person they thought was the political Messiah was the good rabbi, was the teacher who... Son of God, but we're trying to understand what that means. Suddenly it seems like it's all being torn apart and Jesus wants to speak these words into their lives so that the Holy Spirit can bring it back to them. And he wants to speak these words into our lives too. So I would encourage you to take time and reflect on this That in our Father's house, there's many homes waiting for us. And He's promised that it's true. And as we are aliens and sojourners in this world, we know home is waiting if we are in Christ. And that He is going to bring us home. We know that He, through what He has accomplished, is going to do a greater work through us and proclaiming the goodness of the gospel. And that we have now this opening to go to God and bring our requests to Him, knowing that He hears us. That He will give us the Holy Spirit to every person who puts their trust in Christ. And that He has given us His peace. Now if you're like me, I need to read that over and over again. Because I will read it and I'll go, thank you, Lord. And then I'll walk away in the anxiety of the moment. will begin to dig at me. And I need to go back. Yes, he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. He didn't say your heart shouldn't have been troubled. He says, I know right now your hearts are troubled. So don't let them be troubled. And here's why. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us so much and knowing us so well that on the night he was betrayed, our Savior spoke words of encouragement to his disciples who soon would scatter and abandon him and even deny that they knew him but it didn't change our Savior's heart for them. And His heart for us, as He looked ahead and knew the challenges that we would face in each generation, Lord, I thank You that these encouragements, these declarations and these promises are as true in November of 2020 as they were when You spoke them to the disciples when you move John through the Spirit to write them down. Lord, you know where each of us are at. You know who is here and is discouraged and troubled. Lord, we pray that you would use your word to speak to each of us where we're at. To encourage us, to strengthen us for every good work. But Lord, I pray especially this morning if there's anyone here who doesn't know Jesus Christ who has not put their trust in His finished work to pay for their sins, 
and to give them peace with God. That today they would ask the questions before they leave and seek the answers. That today would be their day of salvation so that all these encouragements, declarations, and promises can be theirs as well. Lord, we ask that you would do this. In Jesus' name, amen.